Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome or welcome back to the Thoughts That Manifest podcast. I'm Elle, and I am a mindset and manifestation coach who aims to inspire you to awaken your mind to the limitless potential that is within you. Hello, everyone. Courtney and I are back today with another episode for you. We are so excited to be back today. Today's episode is all about how to stop being your own worst enemy. And at the end of this episode, we're doing this new thing where we're going to talk about three perspectives. And basically, these three perspectives are either like quotes we saw on Instagram or something we saw or heard the past week that really sparked conversation in our minds that we really wanted to share or talk about. So yeah, how are you today, Courtney? You already know. (laughs) I've had a good and then rocky and then lots of emotional (laughs) re-regulating happening today. Yeah, it's it's been an unexpected plot twist kind of day. Yeah, I'm just like, what? is aligning in the stars today. Mm. Venus square Uranus, not good. Yeah. Sometimes it's good, but other times it's like unexpected. What the hell is going on right now? Yeah. I will say like, besides my own problems, I feel really terrible for all the people who are in Maui who live there because Mm -hmm. going on vacation there is one thing, but living there is terrible. And we also have some wildfires here like in the Austin area over like a small town, like a suburb called Cedar Park. And apparently those are pretty severe. Uh, I haven't personally seen them yet because we live kind of far away, but I'll keep an eye out. Oh, that's so I'm not surprised. Here it's so freaking hot. I'm not surprised but we're on fire. Like I'm surprised the sun doesn't set the grass on fire. Seriously. Wildfires and natural disasters are so freaking sad. And my heart really does go out. To literally everyone who's affected by it. Ugh. You ever feel like we're just one person in such a large world where you want to do so much, but you're like one person, you feel like you can't, and then you get stressed out because you can't do more? Oh, the Sound of Freedom movie that I told you I watched, first of all, absolutely shattered my heart because I know that that exists. But like one of those big things like human trafficking, like you know that it happens, but it's one of those things that you're like so sheltered from that you don't think about on a daily basis and then I saw that movie and I was like I need to do more I need to help more I want to go kick in doors and save children and I'm just like that's not my job how am I yeah. how am I going to help save innocent children and now when I was at the grocery store today and I came home and I told Trev I was like I literally looked at every single male and that's grocery store who made eye contact with me like I was gonna kill them and that they better not have like some secret child at home because I would hurt them and I was I like and that's not even fair. I know I know now it's like living in that fear and that judgment but it, it is reality that these things happen and it's so awful so so awful and it honestly makes me sick to my stomach At the end of the movie, I was crying and I told Trevor, I said, you know, my sister and I, I was abused like sexually by my stepfather's siblings who were females and by some cousins who were females growing up. But my sister was abused by him. Obviously, we know that because she guest starred on the podcast. And we were forced to like live with him and live with those people in our lives. But we weren't constantly abused multiple times a day by that same person once we brought it to light it came to a halt whereas like these kids are being put in situations and one of the really powerful quotes was like you can sell a bag of cocaine once you can sell a child multiple times a day Mm. and I just thought that was so sad that is so freaking sad and you shared something yesterday on Instagram right where there was like Mm -hmm. a link yeah so there's like a in the, the show notes yeah, it's it's angels.com. You can buy merchandise. One of the things that they say in the movie is like God's children are not for sale, which I really want to buy like a t-shirt that says that. But they also have where like you can pay it forward and you can buy tickets for the movie for someone else. Uh, so basically they're donating movie tickets because what happened is the movie actually was filmed five years ago, but it Hollywood did everything that they could to block the movie from coming out because we all know that Hollywood has a really big pedophilia issue, obviously, with the Me Too movement and everything and diaries coming out from actresses in the 1950s who were underage. 
we know that it's a problem. And from all the Disney stars coming forward, it's a big problem. So obviously they don't want this stuff to be known. Uh, I think also I'm sure that they are somehow managing to make money. Like these wealthy people, you know, they're not just making their money legitimate ways. They're doing it in other really, it's $150 billion, sorry, billion dollar industry a year. So So you know that some of these people who live in those houses are getting money from it. So gross. So awful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, we'll definitely leave um, them in the show notes. Yeah, seeing the movie, it's it's going to be hard. I would say if you have some trauma, donate tickets, buy a shirt. If you can see the movie, I would honestly go and see it. It is really hard to watch. Obviously, they don't show anything explicit because these are children, actors in the movie. But it's really important to get that full perspective of like this is happening and the u.s is the largest country where child sex trafficking is occurring on a daily basis awful Mm -hmm. well to segue out of that very (laughs) heavy heavy topic yeah i guess i wanted to kind of catch you guys up because last episode i mentioned that i was going to do my hsg procedure yes and i freaking did it you guys i did i'm literally a good one Oh, I'm so proud of myself because I I'm was very proud of you. So afraid of so so afraid. For those of you who maybe are listening for the first time, I had just a normal transvaginal procedure done in the past during my like infertility journey here and for testing and whatnot. And it went horribly. And I ended up getting really sick. I felt really like invalidated in many different ways and just boundaries felt crossed, all sorts of things. I just felt weird about it. So I put off the HSG test for a whole entire freaking year because I was terrified of it. And I write up people's experiences. So from my own personal experience, if somebody's listening, you struggle with infertility, you struggle to conceive and you need to take an HSG test and you felt like a similar way as I did. I took diazepam. So I took a Valium beforehand because I definitely needed it for my anxiety and just to like relax my muscles. And then I also took... 500 milligrams of Tylenol and 800 milligrams of ibuprofen, which I know is a lot. And I don't know if it's really recommended for everybody to do, but I probably need to eat before you take much ibuprofen. I did eat, but let me tell you, even with that, I still felt pain. So it's a good thing I took that because if not, I can't even imagine what the pain would have been. But the pain for me was quicker than I expected. It it wasn't the dye that really hurt. It was more so the catheter being inserted into my cervix that really hurt because it kind of dilates you a little bit. And that's where the contraction type feeling can come in, which I wouldn't say it's a full on pregnancy labor pain. But then again, I can't really compare it to that because I've never given birth. So I don't know. But either way, it fucking hurt. But it didn't last too long. And I got over it. And yeah, we made it. And I am not blocked. My tubes are open. My everything looked normal. So that's really good news, but also kind of annoying news as well. Because now (laughs) it's like, well, what the heck is my issue then? So I guess right now we're kind of dealing with a case of unexplained infertility, but I'm going to be talking to my doctors about the next steps. And I think IUI is going to probably be the next step. So yeah, for everybody who's been following along, listening and supporting me and sending me really kind messages, it means the world to me and I really appreciate you. So thank you for that. And I know, I think that was like all the updating. I know you said you were going to get your braces, but she had a reschedule, which is totally fine. Yeah. Life happens and you forget stuff and you double book yourself. Yep. Yep. It happens. And now you get to have one more week without the fe- the feeling of mouth pressure. Just the mental pressure. <laughs> yeah, the kidding. mental pressure. No, for sure. But yeah, so how to stop being your own worst enemy, you guys. I'm sure many of you can relate. But also some of us, like for example, for many years, I didn't even realize how I was self-sabotaging myself. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes you just are so blinded to your own behaviors that you don't even realize how you're actually holding yourself back a ton. Didn't we have this conversation about how like you turn yours outward and I turn mine inward? Or did I have that conversation with Trevor? We did have a perspective example where like you tend to, what what do we say? You tend to be like, I feel like all the shitty things happen to me. And then I do this thing where I feel like, Things that happen to me aren't shitty enough compared to people around me. So I don't. Uh, Yes. That was like the perspective. Yeah. Sunday we talked about this for like a while. Yeah. And that's how we sparked the idea. 
yeah you turn it into like a well this terrible thing happened to me but is it as terrible as like what everyone else is going through so I really don't have the room to like even have my feelings because it's not that important and I'm just like I suck and everything terrible happens to me so why do I even try and I should just not exist where I go when it's extremely dark because nothing ever works out and I'm obviously the problem which is so drastic yeah and honestly both are not healthy to do no both are not good for your mental health no and those are both our examples of like being your worst enemy but I would say like how do you feel like yours starts like do you recognize like how it starts you know I think something for me that really brings this up is the fact that I make so much time to listen to everybody else's problems that I feel like because I'm constantly getting told everybody else's problems, I feel like everybody's life is just so hard that I start doing this comparison game, which we were talking about, right? But then I have to like really put myself back a little bit and acknowledge the fact that actually maybe I am going through some difficult shit I would say not conceiving for two years is a big deal it's not a small thing it weighs I I know a lot of people struggle with it because the age of like trying to have kids is getting older and older but I don't think it's like it's a really big deal yeah it's a big like decision to have a kid and then to to want one and not be able to do it is hard Yeah. And to be honest, when I first started the whole trying to conceive journey, after like six months, I started feeling a bit of the mental, emotional pressure of it all. And that's when I was like, all right, well, hold on. People have been trying for like a year or two. Why do I feel this way? It's okay. It's going to happen. It's fine. And then I got to the year mark and I was like, oh shit. Okay. And then I got to the two year mark and then you start being like, okay, well, there are people out there who have been struggling for five years. And so like you keep like doing this minimizing game, at least that's what I have done to myself. But what I'm realizing is the pain that I felt at six months trying to conceive is pretty much the same pain as now as well. Like it was just as heavy back then as it is now. I think what the time, the difference between the two is that like now I've come to terms with it more where I've started Mm -hmm. to accept it more so maybe it even hurts I don't want to say it hurts a little bit less but I've gotten used to handling it better you think because from like an outside perspective I'm thinking too of like when we were growing up I felt like you were also told verbally a lot Lauren Elizabeth that's not that bad you're overreacting And now that I'm like reflecting on that, that I'm like, you probably internalized that. And now as an adult, whenever you're like going through some actual stuff, you're like almost like suppressing and invalidating yourself and the whole process. And like, that's how you're being your own worst enemy because you're like not even acknowledging that you have anything to really be upset about because you're like, well, I shouldn't be because it's not that bad. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. That was definitely a line that I was met with a lot as a child, you know, being reminded that other people have it worse than me and that, you know, and also just the fact that when I did feel a type of way, especially in the relationship with my dad, a lot of the times he would dismiss my feelings, not acknowledge them, not, you know, and he would say, oh, that didn't happen that way or blah, 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 whatever. And it's like, you know, two realities can exist at one time. Like it happened that way for me, maybe not for you because you were in your own space doing whatever, seeing it your own type of way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that I think from his perspective. Exactly. So I think that definitely, you know, can take a toll. And to be honest, there has been moments where I have wallowed in my pain as well, though. I probably find myself doing both because I have had moments where I'm like, why me? Why is this happening to me? This is so unfair. Mm-hmm. Like what the hell type of energy? I, I have been in that before. And I think one way that we can really self-sabotage is by keeping us ourselves in this like mm-hmm. victimhood type of energy. Yeah. Um, like feel how you feel, right? Like have a lot of passion about it, but how long are you staying in that energy? Because it's so easy to get stuck in that energy. And when you're in that energy, your mind wants to be the victim of your circumstances. Therefore, your mind is not going to be looking for solutions. Yeah. Or even just like 
your I feel like at that point your ego is trying to almost like validate that thought process that it keeps like popping up that like oh you're the victim everything happens to you so it's like because that's like overpowering you don't have the space to just like feel how you feel and feel it objectively so you can kind of like process it not saying that the feeling won't ever come up again but like process it and emotionally regulate from it instead of being stuck in a mentality or invalidating how you feel by rationalizing a solution because I feel like that's another thing that you can do that could be like you being your own worst enemy is like for a long time you and I had conversations where like our like we want to fix the person who comes to us who's like immediately upset you want to fix it Mm. and so you offer all these solutions and the people are like I don't want that I want you to listen yeah I just want somebody to listen right now and yeah you have to do that with yourself right you have to listen to yourself listen to how you're feeling if you're upset let yourself be upset But in my opinion, do I think that there needs to be eventually a point where you're looking for a solution? Yes, but it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be right away. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, because I think there's like a slippery slope, especially for me, I can completely relate where it goes from like being upset and needing to emotionally regulate and being so upset that like I either want to stop doing everything, I want to cancel everything, I want to quit, or I go into like this mentality of like, well, everything is a black dark hole. So why do I even exist? Why was I brought into the universe? If this is like, if I'm just meant to suffer a bunch, then, you know, let's just end that, which is not healthy and extremely unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, I don't have those thoughts regularly. They don't always, They it's not like every time I have those feelings, they get there. But, you know, when I'm feeling really overwhelmed from many directions, it can get really bad. So. Yeah. I'd say be mindful of that happening. And if it does happen, talk to someone, tell someone, even if, yeah. Yeah, because there's someone nothing worse than being alone with like thoughts, like intrusive thoughts like that. Yeah, because they're not true. Like none of us are actually worthless and nothing is completely just our fault. Even if you have someone in your life who like, even if you're being abused by like a narcissist or whatever, and like they're telling you you're not worthy or like you that you're the common denominator of the problem, that's not true. No. It's 100% not true. It's not. And, you know, for a while... I really struggled when like challenges came up in my life and I've, I've had many challenges, lots of change growing up, lots of just like things that were hard and heavy on me. And I used to want like pity or whatever back then. Um, but I've come to, like, ever since my spiritual awakening, I would say I've come to be able to switch my mindset and my perspective on things that are happening in my life. And I will say that mentally it has made me just a lot more happy mentally. I would say my mental state has been so much better when I've made this perspective shift because I used to say, you know, why me? Like, why is this happening to me? And now, you know, when challenges and things come up, I'm like, all right, I have so much optimism within me to be like, I know that this challenge is coming my way because I can handle it. And I'm going to see what the lesson is. You need to get to where you are. It's hard. It was really hard. It did did not come easy. And honestly- You take like your whole, didn't you go through a whole, like, what is it? Year number one? uh, Year 11 is when life really changed. My perspective on life changed so much going through a year number 11. And that was when I fell into spirituality and astrology and tarot and all of that. But yeah, like I got to a point in my life where now when challenges come up, I have so much faith that I'm going to be able to overcome them and that I'm meant to go through it because there's a lesson to learn from it. And so I try to look at it from a lesson perspective. And now some people would say, that's ignoring your feelings, blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying that I don't focus on my feelings because I still cry. <laughs> I still cry. I still get mad. I, I'm not like happy-go-lucky, like, ah, ha, ha, this doesn't bother me. Hell no. You're like but, overwhelmed and feeling the struggle, but also knowing that like feeling that struggle and being overwhelmed is helping you build like that character development and your spiritual development because yes. you're meant to. Exactly. Because let me tell you, one of the biggest, most self-sabotaging things that you can do is give in to your fears, honestly. early, Like quit early because you're like, well, this is too freaking hard. So I'm just not going to do it because like, obviously I'm not cut out for it. I mean, 
there's a good balance of like knowing your own boundary, but you have to ask yourself sometimes, like I would use the example of working out on your own in the gym or working out with like a buddy slash trainer. If you work out in the gym and you're working out with a friend or a trainer, you're going to push yourself harder because either the trainer is helping push you and motivate you or your friend who's working out with you, you're like motivated by like them and you guys want to keep up or like, you know, you're get a little bit like in this competitiveness. Whereas like if you're working out alone, you're like, well, I'm just, you're not even really like pushing yourself to a brink of like uncomfortability so that you can grow like physically. And so I think emotionally, it's the same thing. I think like surrounding yourself, not necessarily with difficult people, but people who will support you while you're going through emotional challenges. Because I think that's one of the things that I think we lacked a lot in our generational group and maybe even previous generations was the emotional regulation and support that we needed. So if you have people who can give that to you while you're learning and growing through these changes, like you've done so much of that for me. And it's like, I still have so much to learn. I was literally like sobbing in the garage today, like telling my husband, like, we just shouldn't go blah, 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 like so mad and upset and just like crying. And it took like having another person who can emotionally regulate near me for me to be able to do the same. Same thing with you. Like, you know, I had a diff, I had a lot of difficult moodiness and I was trying to say like in a healthy way, like I can't absorb all of this right now. Like it's way too much and it's overwhelming. And I, I felt like it could still just come out as being really mean. And after I like said it, I felt terrible. And then I felt more terrible because I was like, oh my God, did that come off as mean? And then your responses of like you being able to emotionally regulate and see the perspective and how it could be that way helped me to calm down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that makes sense. You kind of process like the whole, everything that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. That, that does make a lot of sense. And I think it's really helpful to have people in your life who are able to see like perspectives as Mm -hmm. well, because more open people. Yeah. Because if you're feeling a type of way and you have somebody who's so like self-absorbed and they only see their perspective, it can create a very unhealthy dynamic as well. Well, I even kind of like didn't fully understand this, but like I had a friend from California who was basically trying to explain the difference from a lot of the people they associate with in California from like these people in Texas and like just how like emotionally in tune people in Texas are more. And I realized it when I watched, watched a little bit of, again, terrible show watching reality shows or whatever like Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and one of the one of the wives on that show was like trying to really going through it like emotionally deciding like if she was going to pull her NBA team out of where they the city they were in because she wanted to build them build the team a new arena so they could be more competitive in the NBA and it's really hard for her because she actually has a ton of loyalty to her fan base and she's like actively crying and upset and her friend is like telling a story about Louis like Louis Vuitton's laughing and totally like not understanding that she emotionally is not in a place where she can handle having like small talk and I feel like it's it's tough too because maybe that's someone else's coping mechanism like maybe she's over talking and talking about stuff that has nothing to do with it because maybe she's uncomfortable with someone being upset well yeah actually that's a great perspective I think there are many people out there who genuinely do not know how to handle when somebody else is upset and that can stem from so many different things I feel like I don't know how to handle when other people are angry like someone crying I'm fine with someone could fall in my arms and collapse and I'm not going to judge them I'm fine, cry all you need to. But when people are angry, I'm just like, I feel like a little turtle. I just want to pop back in my shell. Oh yeah, I get really I get really intimidated by people being angry too. It actually makes me cry when people yell at me. Mm-hmm. Like my inner child hates that. My inner child just, yeah, can't handle Oh, it. that reminds me. One good thing I did do is I scheduled a new patient intake for therapy but this is it reminds me of that because this is one of the things I want to bring up in therapy is like how to be okay with conflict and not feel like you know like even workplace conflict like how do I get to a place 
where I can voice my boundaries and voice my concerns and like genuinely articulate being dissatisfied without getting so emotional from other life traumas that you're either A, written off, B, not taken seriously, or C, lose your job because you're too emotionally angry or something like, you know, you overreact in some way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I think you'll find so much help through therapy with that. I'm actually so glad you finally did that. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to some lady who supposedly specializes in trauma therapy. So good. Good. That, that, uh, yeah. You're going to definitely have to let me know how that goes. Which I'm was- really excited for because my sister started going to trauma therapy and it's been going really good for her. So good. yeah, I was actually going to have you, if you feel up to it, your, uh, the story that you told me, the breakthrough moment you had during your last coaching call Oh, with my macro coach, like my holistic macro coach. I don't remember which one it was because we had a few. The one I think where, you know, you, it was all about like comparison and not making assumptions about other people. Oh, that was a tough one. Yeah. So it's like when you're feeling your feelings too, one of the worst things you can do for yourself is assume that other people that are ideally like are physically are representing like material wise where you want to be you think and believe their perception which is like that they did it really easily or that they do it really effortlessly I think social media is a scary platform because of that one of the examples we talked about was I have a friend who's like really small and thin but she's also like a complete raw vegan for the most part and also training for some stuff that's coming up so she's like very active and makes it look very effortless and so I think for me I had this perception that like it was just naturally easy for that person to be thin and so I was talking to my macro coach about this and she's like you realize that Being a completely raw vegan is one of the most restrictive diets and one of the most unrealistic lifestyle things that you can commit to for forever. She's like, first of all, your body will adapt just like anyone else's metabolism will adopt to any adapt to any other type of diet. She's like, but it's literally like you're only eating raw food all the time, going on vacation, going out to eat with other people like that becomes really difficult to manage. So that really... When I was feeling my feelings of like unworthiness and insignificance and feeling like, you know, because I'm more of a normal body shape and weight that I'm like not good enough or like I shouldn't be pictured or photographed for an event coming up with them, with her there, because it's going to make me look even bigger. She kind of pointed out, you know, you have a plan, you have something you're working on, but you're so worried about comparing to someone else that you're not even staying on track with your own thing. And it's really hard, like emotionally when you're going through it to keep the logical aspects of, you know, like what's actually going on. So it was nice to have an outside perspective kind of draw me back in and be like, no. The other thing that was comparatively as hard is knowing that I've been like a size two and that's hard. And that's something we had to talk about at great length and kind of just mourning that loss of where I was and also understanding that when I lost weight originally, I did it just for the physicality, for the external validation, because I wanted to be considered stereotypically attractive. But I never worked on any of the emotional aspects or the self-sabotage or the self-loathing or self-hate that I had had when I was larger and didn't see myself as stereotypically beautiful. And now what's great about a holistic macro coach versus like just somebody who gives you like recipes and tells you to go do this stuff is that she has me work through all these things. She wants me to go to therapy. So we're really working on the emotional aspects of why I had these self-perceptions. Because even if I eat really healthy and exercise every day because I want to and it feels good, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be a supermodel. And so it's really more important to come to a place where I'm happy and healthy, like about my own perception about myself and how much I love myself versus being my own worst enemy while I'm trying to do these things. Because that's not going to help. Absolutely. Wow. And that must have been like a lot to unpack, but. Yeah, I cry. I always cry when I talk to her. Oh, it's no, like, that's good, though. that's good though, because I feel like she's helping you 
overcome so many deep-seated mindset blocks. It really is. And it's bringing up a lot of stuff that I thought that I had settled, quote unquote, settled. And it just reminds me of all the things that you and I have talked about. A lot of the things that you have taught me, which is like, things don't just go away. They're going to come back. And it's more of like, when they come back, how are you dealing with them? How are you processing them? How is the tools that you've built up from the last time or what are the tools that you're going to use and and take advantage of now so when they come back around you're better prepared to deal with these things with good strong mental health and fortitude instead of just you know being really awful to yourself because it's not fun absolutely. absolutely and you know this is very like on point for what we're dealing with right now astrologically because we have venus retrograde so there is a lot from the past coming back up and being re-triggered to be worked through. And that's why you've seen probably in the media lately, a lot of divorces, a lot of breakups, a lot of relationships going through changes, people around you. You may have seen this in people around you, life changes in relationships, couples splitting up or needing to rework through past problems. And I was thinking about this in my own life, when it comes to my own relationship and our trying to conceive journey, I decided during Venus retrograde to go back to testing for infertility, which I didn't even realize until the other day that I did that during Venus retrograde, but it was very like on point. But it's basically like when these old wounds come back to the surface, how are you working through them? And during these retrogrades, things from the past are going to come back up to be worked through again. And for you, Courtney, it sounds like you have a lot of emotional self-worth wounds coming back around to the surface that you're really trying to work through. I told I told Trev the other day, I said, it's just so overwhelming. And the reason I'm so overwhelmed and I get to a point of like almost thinking of to not exist as, as awful as it sounds is because the trauma that I'm processing and unpacking is basically I was bullied at school by males specifically that I liked and had crushes on and then I was bullied and manipulated and treated really awful by the friends that I had that were girls and then I was emotionally neglected and physically abused at home and then my sister bullied me and so I was getting it from almost every place in my life so it was like home wasn't safe school wasn't safe and then I was even at one point you you know this bullied online when myspace happens like our generation is not free from the concept of like going home and not being bullied I was bullied online as well and so it was just like a lot to process and when you're a young adult and you've got all these hormones and everything and you're trying to figure out how you fit in in the world all those things are a lot to handle and it definitely takes a huge toll on your mental health and your ideal of who you are and your self-worth because even now I would say like I don't consider myself stereotypically beautiful but I know that my husband does so it's like very it's all it's like I don't even see myself and so there's a lot to unpack there yeah. I, know you, I know you probably think that I am too but yeah it's like hard 100% and yeah that definitely is an indication that you have self-worth wounds to work through and I feel like so many listening can probably relate to the fact that they don't feel stereotypically beautiful and I feel like even people out there who we think are stereotypically beautiful struggle with believing that they're worthy and oh yeah that's the mind trip of it all. It's so easy to look at people who are stereotypically whatever it is you believe you're supposed to We have to this be. conversation too, where like yeah. you would you think by looking at someone's physical appearance, because we have a common friend whose like appearance is very stereotypical, gorgeous. And we were talking about like, wow, oh my God, like her life has been really difficult. And people just assume that because she looks a certain way that it's been really easy, but there's a lot of guard up. There's a lot of guard up because of the hurt that they've experienced and it's understandable and it's almost like they've been treated worse because they are beautiful mm, yeah. to a certain extent. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's just you never know what somebody else is going through and I think it's really important and that goes back to the whole concept of the topic we were talking about last episode, higher self versus ego and not giving in to judgment so quick because What we see on the outside is not what's happening beneath the surface. Internally. 
Yeah. yeah. Actually, I had a weird synchronicity moment with the universe. So like, sorry to hijack you. Oh, no, I just good. remembered it. So I wanted to tell you, I'm just excited to share with you. So I was getting like a service done and my service person was telling me like, Hey, I've got this wedding coming up. I'm feeling, you know, feeling in a really big funk, like in all aspects of my life, it's affecting me because I feel overweight. I don't want to go to this wedding. Everyone else is like skinny and really cool and like tattooed and pretty. And all I could think about was how a week ago, I was telling the same story in different words to my macro coach. And I have had a really difficult last few days off. But when I was there, I really felt compelled to like remind her, like, first of all, your physical beauty is not the only representation of you. You're a business owner. You're beautiful. You are smart. You have a beautiful soul. And not everyone has that. Some really beautiful people have a really, really ugly soul because they have so much that they haven't worked through. And I can tell that you've got like a lot more to offer the world than just physical beauty, but also you are really beautiful and you don't have to be like a specific way or appearance to be that, like be valuable, to be valid. And it was almost like the universe presenting my own problem to myself mm-hmm. and like telling myself those same things. And it was just, I was like, and isn't it just such a mind trip that we can so easily tell somebody who's going through the same problem as us what to do, but we can't tell ourselves. Like, yeah, you used to say that all the time. You're like, take your own advice, right? Like it, that's so freaking hard. It's like it's so easy to be able to like solve somebody else's problem and present them with a solution, but then we present ourselves with the same solution and we don't want to accept it. That is being your own worst enemy. <laughs> Perfect example of how you are being your own worst enemy. You're not listening to your own advice. The other thing that I will say, I had a big epiphany with everything that happened last week is, and reading the book Tired as Fuck is that another way you can be your own worst enemy is believing that you are as valuable as you are productive. Mm. You are more than your productivity. You are more than what you do for other people. You are more than the chores you do. You're more than what you do to do at work. Like you do not have to exhaust yourself in every aspect of your life to feel like you are worthy of the life that you have. You are worthy of the life that you have because you are here and you are human. I for so long have felt like I needed to do stuff for the most important people in my life so that I don't lose them. And it's a learned childhood behavior. Mm-hmm. And it was like, if I make myself valuable enough, these people won't leave. I can relate to that so much. People are going to leave anyway if they want to. Yes. I mean, so poor Lauren's over here like, yeah, bitch, you left me. <laughs> yeah, literally. No, I've had, I've had so many people in my life where I've like felt like I've not like I'm not saying you by the way but I just felt like I've given and given and given and give and they always come to me when they need me but then like where are they when they don't need me anymore Mm. when I'm not feeling something for them or like when you finally put that boundary and then they're like subtly like like posting stuff like oh I only reach out to those people who reach out to me it's like you never reached out to me unless you wanted some shit from me so I'm sorry that I stopped reaching out to you because you were using me (laughs) Yeah, I definitely, I definitely have felt that way in the past before. Absolutely. And it's just, it's, it's tough because it's kind of like that. All right. Well, what lesson am I meant to learn from this? Um, Self-love, self-care, boundaries, not overextending yourself. Yeah. Be careful of like anybody who, you know, might be using you or just, you know, taking and taking and then yeah. But then again, like it's hard, right? Because then I think back to I see this this on Facebook all the time. It's like, oh, thank God for those friends who, you know, we can go without talking and then we can pick it right back up where we left off. And Yeah, but I think there's a difference from picking it right back up and people who are like calling you and like asking you how you are and then like they hijack the whole phone call and everything's about problems in their life and they just straight up need your advice. That's true. The whole conversation. And then like, when it's time to talk about you again, they have to go. Mm, That's true. And the same. Yeah, no, that's not the same. But also, I think right there, that can like also present in itself different like love languages and friendship. Because for me, like people would hate being my friend, probably. I don't know. Because I am like, I don't know if I'm needy, but like, I do like a good check in. 
like shit I've been going through some shit in my life and like how many friends check in on me not many but I'm so grateful for the ones who do but it's like I guess in my nature, in my friendship nature, I'm like the type of person who would want to reach out and check in on someone. But then once I realize that's not reciprocated, I pull back a little bit. But then I think to myself, is that selfish? Because should I just keep extending and like reaching out because I want to, even if they're not giving me that in return? See, this is why it's so hard for me to like look at perspectives because I this is what I struggle with. I see perspectives too much. I think... For me, I think it's like, I think for me, if, if I'm reaching out and I'm either not getting a response at all, or I'm getting like such, it's either like no response at all, or like, I'm getting a very clear, unhealthy, manipulative type of use type of vibe, then that's usually where I'm kind of like, okay, well, one, I'm not going to keep reaching out to someone who doesn't answer me because, you know, maybe they don't want to talk about this and they don't even know how to tell me. Mm. Or maybe they just don't want to talk, which is fine. That's fine. And maybe that comes from my own rejection wound things. Well, I think that's the issue. Fine. Or you think that's what it is? I think that's the issue because I have rejection wounds too. And I feel the same way, especially if I reach out to a friend and I'm like, oh, let's hang out. We haven't seen each other in a while. And then the day comes, they cancel plans. And then we do it again. We reschedule. And then the day comes and we cancel plans. And it's like a flakiness cycle. So then eventually I get to the point where I'm like, I've been rejected from these plans so many times that I'm done trying. You can come to me when you want to hang out. And then it will be like a year or two later. And then it's like, oh, by the way, let's hang out now. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, what's up? I guess it's a good example of of, uh, us shedding light on like how your own trauma may impact your friendships, which is a good thing to take into account. I think the most important thing, the number one green flag with a friendship is like something with Lauren and I, where we can tell each other straight out, like, I think this is a trauma or a trigger for me. And you can be like, totally honest and have the other person be like, no, I get that. I get that. I realize, I think we vibe so well, because we have similar friendship love languages. And I feel like we both are like, we like depth. We don't like surface level. I mean, we do and we don't we like a good like halloween town also on our phone on the couch oh well yeah no but i mean i mean like i feel like we can have in-depth conversations is what i meant like there's there's a lot of friends in my life who i probably wouldn't be having these deep in-depth combos with right i think our friendship has a lot more than everyone thinks of this burden like the weirdest way but i think our friendship has a lot more intimacy and intention yeah and maybe even some more than some of my friendships have as well. Like I don't have, I don't have another friendship like our friendship. Yeah. It's just not there. Yeah. It's just, there's too many things we've shared. There's too many things we've talked about. There's too many things, too many places that we've gone that I've never gone with anyone else. And that's yeah. weird, but I don't mean. No, yeah. <laughs> that way. No, I know what you mean. But you know what I mean? Like just. I mean, and we've known each other for so long. We've seen so many versions of each other and have been with each other through so many seasons of life. Yeah, we've had our fights. If you've guys listened to past episodes, you've heard about some of them. They're silly, but we've always came back Mm -hmm. and realized how silly they were. And I think we're at a place in our friendship where we're just so stable in our friendship. Like, I feel like it's the most stable we've been. Or maybe that's just me who thinks that, but I think that. No, I think that. I feel more comfortable now, like, actually telling you when I'm struggling or like if I have an issue and I feel like you're just going to be like judgment-free, totally understanding about the situation. Then when we were younger, I think we were both so ego-driven that it created a barrier of us thinking that the like internalizing the problem as it was like something wrong with us versus like just getting to this point where we see so many perspectives that we can understand like okay I can understand how you would experience that situation as you saw it and I validate that you felt that way but this is how I saw it and the other person being open enough to be like okay actually that makes a ton of sense which is actually how I love to conduct my marriage as well 
Mm-hmm. Like we're both okay. I could see exactly how you feel that way. I didn't even think about it like that, and I'm really sorry. Yeah, and I think that's so so important in a relationship, and that just goes to show what we've just talked about can also tie into self sabotaging relationships in your life. As soon as you feel triggered or in some way, you want to like run away from the relationship instead mm-hmm. of maybe giving it a chance. So even self-sabotage to the point of ruining your relationships, whether they're green flagged or red. Yeah. Yeah. And another way that I tend to, I used to tend to self-sabotage this way a lot more, but anybody who comes from a childhood that was filled with chaos and change and things were never stable, you probably find that when your life is stable you want to create chaos and change (laughs) because that's what your ego is so used to that's what feels comfortable so in times of stability yeah it's like you're 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 so addicted to flight or flight there's actually I wish I remembered where it was I don't know if I shared it to our thing or if I shared it on my Instagram story itself where I shared like that's actually like a trauma response and I have people in my life where I've seen that they do this and they create like the most mundane situations become these chaotic fight or flight very dramatic and we do it to ourselves too like when something stresses us out to the point of like a lack of emotional regulation we treat a normal task like me canceling my Costco vacation to Hawaii as this terrible life-threatening need to have an emotional breakdown type of situation where it's like you know if I was more emotionally in touch it's like I would be able to mourn the loss of that but also like move forward with canceling it without it being like a guess I should never go to Hawaii type of mentality yeah yeah you're able to self-reflect on that and bring awareness to your response of how you dealt with that situation in your life and I think that's really important because not many people can do that not many people can like have that self-awareness around situations sometimes I catch myself like worrying about like the worst possible outcomes and I'm just like why do I even care listen you're a sad rising it is time to flip those perspectives in your mind <laughs> to a more positive one. Live my best life. Instead of thinking the worst possible outcome, why don't you think what would be the best possible outcome? That would be, yeah. Actually, that would be good to journal. Because that, that can help. We always fixate on what the frick can go wrong, that we actually attract what can go wrong because that's what we're noticing. We're noticing what we think. I did actually want to bring up an interesting perspective that I don't think you and I have talked about. We can get more into in like a different episode, but actually, yeah, let's kick this off with our three perspectives now. Okay, so one of the things that I heard when I was listening to the Tired as Fuck book was she was talking about how manifesting and the whole concept of manifesting, a lot of the time it has you concentrate on the physical end goal of what you want. So, right, like saying you want to manifest a house. People, yeah, people misconceive manifestation as focusing on the physical item or the physical thing that you want and not the emotion. And so when she first started manifesting, it was causing her like anxiety and panic attacks because she was focusing on like the physical attributes or the physical item that she wanted instead of focusing on manifesting that feeling that she was looking for from those things. And so she was saying that she learned from, there's a few different manifestation coaches she mentioned, but I don't remember who they are, who did a really good job of teaching people that more than you need the thing you're trying to manifest, you want to manifest the emotions you want to feel. Because if you can manifest the emotions you want to feel from those experiences that you are desiring, they'll come a lot easier And the journey to getting to them is a lot less dysfunctional and dysregulated. Mm, I actually have a ton of episodes on this topic. I've talked about this topic before on the podcast. And she's so so right. There is this misconception about what you're supposed to focus on when manifesting and everybody focuses on the physical aspect. But let's be real. When you're manifesting money, you don't want money. You want the feeling that the money gives you. Freedom. Yes, exactly. And so that's why you have to also, and a good way to manifest is to be 
the energy, the emotion, the feeling that you're trying to manifest. So if you want to manifest money, how can you start feeling more freedom in your life now without even thinking of it on like a monetary level? Mm. Like what little steps can you do to give yourself that freedom? And can you feel free even if you're not actually there yet? And that's like losing weight too. It's like people don't want to be a certain weight number. They want the feeling that that weight brings, that that whatever weight that they want to be brings them. Mm -hmm. The only other thing that's really sad that I did, the weight thing I did talk to my macro coach about was like, you know, when I was really skinny and I lost a lot of weight, people complimented me a lot, but people don't compliment me anymore. And she said, she said something really powerful. She said, I'm really sorry that people don't appreciate you at all stages of who you are. And they only focus on the physical, like skinny version of you. Like the thin is what they're all, you know, focusing on instead of celebrating every version of you. And I was like, that's actually really powerful. It's very powerful and actually brings up this like concept in my mind. I find that whenever we make changes in our life, when we make big changes and there's that initial like wow factor, that initial wow factor doesn't last, right? People will like compliment you as soon as they see the big change happen, but then they'll stop. They're not going to continuously compliment you after the fact. It's usually that initial wow factor when people compliment or when people are most interested, right? Like you tell people you're going to have a baby, for example. They're so intrigued in that moment, but then when the baby comes, they're nowhere to be seen. It's that initial wow factor where they want to be involved and want to congratulate and want to like show that they care, but do they follow through consistently? Not many people will is what I find happens. I could agree with that. It's, it's just interesting. It's like that initial wow factor. Oh, that initial change, that drastic change. And then everybody's like gone after that. So that is a really good first perspective. Here's one that I had put down. All right. So I found this quote through my explore page. So this is somebody like random that I I had not come across before, but her name is Yasmin Cheyenne. And I believe she has a book called, her book is called The Sugar Jar, Create Boundaries, Embrace Self-Healing, and Enjoy the Sweet Things in Life. And so this quote says, most of us struggle with forgiveness because we've experienced being forced into pretending like we're fine with the disrespect or disappointment we experience. We've had our feelings ignored before and resentment feels like our only form of power. And I was That's really powerful because it's almost like you're taught, I feel like especially girls, we're taught to like be these nice little like dolls that aren't allowed to be like, have someone speak to us and like immediately our reaction be able to be like, like, I don't know about you, but I'm not comfortable having someone be rude to me, even in like a professional environment and be like, like, I don't even feel comfortable being like, I feel like you're not being professional. I feel like there's a lot of emotion behind what you're saying. And I think that we need to take a pause and maybe go collect ourselves and come back when we can be more objective. Like I'm not even comfortable saying that. And that's extremely well articulated. And I probably wouldn't be able to repeat it if if I actually had someone who emotionally triggered me. But like, I'm not even comfortable saying that. Yeah. And and that's the thing, like, especially growing up, you're, you're oftentimes forced into pretending like you're okay parents being like oh stop stop crying stop doing this da, 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 da. so you lost that say sense hi of- to the creepy old man in the grocery store that you don't want to say hi to oh yeah or like give that person a hug even though you don't want to right now like your boundaries were constantly being crossed and you felt out of control of your own actions so you hold on to resentment because you feel like you're in control because that's something you're able to choose on your own Which like does nothing but turn, what is it? It makes you angry because it makes you like depressed and angry. Absolutely. 100% your anger in towards yourself for allowing it to happen and out towards other people with resentment because you're just like, how dare you do that to me? Yeah. Which leads me into this brain thought that I came across that ties into this from the kind set on Instagram. And it says much of our suffering arises from attempting to control what is not in our control. Yeah. It's so true. All the time in the hospital, there are so many nurses who are so upset about things that people do in administration or management that affect, it affects us. 
but bitching and moaning and and even telling those people to their face that what they're doing is wrong is they're not going to change what they do yep Yep. So a lot of our own suffering can come from literally trying to control things that are just not in our control. So instead of focusing on what you cannot control and burning yourself out that way, instead focus on what you can control and focus on your own reactions. That's actually really good for me to take into this upcoming work. Yes. Yeah. I'm just going to focus on my little world and what I can control and whatever happens happens. And I'm going to just like do my best and I'm going to try really hard now that we're like, they're really watching the stuff that we're doing at work. And I'm just going to focus on my little bubble. Exactly. What I can do. And that's as far as I'll go. And if something goes not according to plan, and you have no control over that, just control your reaction to how you handled the situation that went out of out of hand or didn't go as according to plan. I think that's wise. I was going to say there's an old thing that I I stole it from Chloe Kardashian and she stole it from a book. I don't remember what book it is, but she shared success is not the key to happiness. Happiness is the key to success. If you love what you're doing, you will be successful. Which I feel like has gotten turned into this whole premise of like, you have to love your job. But I think it's also important to know that like, sometimes your job isn't what you love. And and by not prioritizing your work, but prioritizing your work-life balance can be more important because if you're balancing more life than work, if you can do that, and your life is what brings you joy and your hobbies and outside of work, then I think that it's, I honestly think that it's okay to not necessarily be like super passionate about what you do for work. Yeah, that, and I think everybody is going to have their own idea or view on like what life and work means to them and what work means to them. To some people, they don't mind working a job that like they, that just, you know, they go to to pay their bills and they may not be passionate about it or love it necessarily, but it gets the job done. As long as you're still doing things that you're passionate about when you're not working, I think that's important because otherwise you probably won't be happy. Yeah, I think it's when you're not doing the things that you're passionate off of work because you've exhausted yourself emotionally and physically at work mm-hmm. that, you, that you don't enjoy at all. That is the, that's, that's, that's the problem. Like, ah, that's the problem. Yeah, that's the problem. When you get so caught up in a job that you can't, stand that's the only thing that you're doing and you're truly not happy because like that quote said happiness is the key to success so true so if you're at a job and you don't like it and that's all you're doing and you're not happy then you're probably going to feel very unfulfilled so having a healthy work-life balance is so important but it's so hard to do and freaking corporate hard to do well, even like having three days on and four days off I realized that this week I haven't cleaned my house at all and now it's the night before I have to sleep all day and work and work three nights in a row. And I still have to cook and prepare meals. And now I'm like, well, now I don't want to clean because it's my last night off. And so I think there's like some, maybe some new habits that I should, you know, just gradually work on. But um, I'm probably just not going to work on cleaning the house and I'm not going to feel guilty about it because my husband didn't do it either and he doesn't feel guilty about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's actually kind of like messy. letting go of perfectionism, which is self-sabotaging in itself. And it seems like you're letting go of that a little bit. I need to for my own sanity. <laughs> Seriously. Another quote that I like saved, it was... It's an old post from like 2018 that I shared with you. It's from somebody called Body Posi Panda. I don't know if it's still the same account, Um, but it just says by realizing how fucked up it is that we've been culturally conditioned to believe that a quote, nice body only looks one way and working to unlearn that shit every day. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. Amen to that because it's so true. We've been so conditioned to believe and each year it kind of shifts because if you look back years ago, what was considered stereotypically beautiful body wise is different than what it is today. And it's Mm -hmm. like at the end of the day, there should be no standard like that. Everybody is beautiful in their own freaking way. And it's just so toxic to have like like, standards. Think about babies being, it would be like having a baby be born and their baby form and they're all pretty similar 
with the exception of, you know, some proportions and being like, babies are proportionally supposed to be exactly this. Mm. And if they're not, they're ugly babies and then tossing them out. And didn't we learn this in like, what was it, preschool or kindergarten when we were making snowflakes and we're like, not every snowflake is, every snowflake is different and beautiful, but still beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like, I yeah, remember less flowers. That. That's how flowers are. Yeah, there's like a quote that I like that's like, just because flowers look different doesn't stop a flower from blooming. Mm-mm. You know, Amen just... to that. Well, guys, I think that was a pretty long episode, I think. So we are ramblers. Yeah, we'll probably pause it here. But hopefully you found some of this helpful in some way. And we really do enjoy talking. Let me think, what is next week? Because next week I leave for Florida. Um, yeah, you're going on vacation. Always with your vacations. I know. I actually have a lot of travel coming up. But yeah. Maybe I'll still but when you're here, we can record together. Right? Can't wait. I think um, we still should be able to get an episode up. Fingers crossed. But we shall talk to you guys next week. Until next time. Bye, guys. Thank you.